0: This afternoon, I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Heidelberg Catechism at Lord's Day 25. We'll read this confession together, page 539 in the Book of Praise. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? from the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They are instituted by God so that by their use, He might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. Indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the Holy Supper. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, from time to time it happens, you're driving down a highway and you will see a broken down old gas station with the windows smashed in and weeds growing in and around the, the pumps, rusty chain blocking the entrance. And the funny thing is that often in front of these these gas stations, the original sign is still standing there pointing to the gas station and and saying, open for business, we want to serve you. Or other times it happens that the sign company is faster than the the business. And so we, we drive into the Tim Hortons to grab our coffee and it's actually not open for business yet, but the sign was out front we have learned that a business is not necessarily operating just because the sign is out front. It's in this thought that Paul is also instructing the church in Romans 2, verse 28, where he explains that the outward act of circumcision, that the sign or the sacrament is not what makes them children of God. What makes them children of God is the inward reality in their hearts. Now, Romans 2, verse 28 to 29, those few verses that we read, is not saying that the sacraments are useless outward rituals, but they carry out their function only when they truly represent what is in our hearts saying, circumcision does not make a Jew, neither does having the book of the law in your hand, but a child of God is made by the Spirit, the Spirit who enters into our hearts, who cuts out the rebellion in a radical circumcision of the heart, and who operates faith. The outward ritual follows as a visible reminder of what is happening in the heart, what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. So we read in Acts 16 the same thing. The Holy Spirit opened the heart, and then Lydia was baptized. And so we see two means or two channels of God's grace to us. But if we do not believe the promise of the gospel proclaimed, which is the first Uh, The first means, the preaching, then the sacrament, which is the second means, is like a sign that is pointing to a business that is not actually in operation. So here we are today. We're believers, and we confess, as we sang in the hymn one, uh, that our entire salvation rests on Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross, And the catechism today asks, well, why why do you say that? How did you get here? How does the Holy Spirit make that evident in your life, make that a reality in your life? And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. We believe that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice on the cross. And we believe this because the Holy Spirit teaches us this in the gospel, and the Holy Spirit assures us of this in the sacraments. Today, then, we look first at the work of the Holy Spirit and bringing this faith in our hearts. We do so looking around to the people around us, the thousands of people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. They go about their lives, and they, they don't know the hope that we have. They don't have it in their hearts. Some of us may even have loved ones who have never come to church, or even worse, who have left the church after simply deciding they don't believe what they have been taught. And when we, when we see this around us, and especially when it's people we love, we, we so eagerly want to force-feed them, the faith. We wish we could force them to believe. But nothing we say seems to help, no matter how much we love them. And then it makes us wonder, well why do why do we believe that our entire salvation rests on Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross? We know that our faith makes us share in Christ and all his benefits, but how can we let others share in this same blessing? Why are some Jews walking around with the sign of circumcision, but only covenant children outwardly, and others are truly covenant children inwardly? Where does true faith, honestly represented in the sacraments, come from? I believe the display text This afternoon is Romans 10, verse 17. The answer, it said it very clearly. Faith comes from hearing the message. And so, we as believers, eagerly desiring to see faith in others, eagerly desiring to be a blessing to those around us, we respond by making sure that people hear the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. We recognize the important connection between faith and God's Word. So as God's people, what do we do? We we want them to believe, so we go out. We support the translation of the Holy Scriptures into many different languages. It's a, it's a worthwhile cause. We invest our time and our money in this. We invest time and money in distributing the scriptures, the Bibles. We have members in our own congregation devoted a lot to the distribution of scriptures to, even to others in other countries. And we watch eagerly now as, as people open this word that they receive, they open the Bible. And, and if we can, we even send men to go and families to go and explain this gospel to those who receive the Bible. It's an example of of Philip, who in in Acts 8, he came up to the the chariot and and he asked the man, do you know what you're reading? We want others to understand the promise of the gospel that's so clearly summarized and In the answer, 66, this is the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. We can see it. We believe it. We love it. We want others to see it too, and we go out, and we give the Scriptures. God works faith through the, the Word. And many times people respond in faith. We love to hear it but more often than not, they don't. They don't. And and we realize we can't make someone else believe. We can't persuade them with our words. Often the Bible itself, just given to them and even them reading them, it doesn't doesn't persuade them. It's a well-known fact that most master's students at theological departments of large universities to spend their whole life studying, writing dissertations about scriptures, they don't believe the gospel. It's just like the Jews that Paul speaks about in Romans 2. Besides the sacrament of circumcision, they also had the word of God, but their hearts were unchanged. He asks again in Romans 10 when he says, well, how can they know Uh, it needs to be preached, right? The gospel has to be proclaimed. And then he says, but who has believed our message? Faith cannot just come from Bibles. Faith cannot just come from the message on its own. But we confess from the, the Holy Spirit who works this faith in our hearts. And then we realize how blessed we are to be here this afternoon believing the message. We see a little bit of of what it means when we look at Acts 16. Lydia met Paul. She knew about the Word of God. She was considered even a believer. That means she knew about what God had said. She knew about the Old Testament And then she heard the gospel being proclaimed by one of God's servants. And we can imagine the missionary scene of Paul standing there beside the water looking for a place to pray. And then she believed. She responded in faith. But before we think that she was convinced by Paul's preaching style or by his persuasive arguments or his personal sacrifices for the gospel, we read Acts 16, verse 14b. We see the reason she believed was that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart. After seeing to it that we hear the word, we confess, we believe what Scripture teaches. The Holy Spirit comes and opens your heart. He is working right inside your very being, right in the center of who you are. Faith comes from the amazing, inner, invisible working of the Holy Spirit. It is exclusively the work of God. All of a sudden... People understand what they're reading. All of a sudden, the parts fit together. All of a sudden, they, they see the promise of the gospel. They love the promise of the gospel. In Corinthians as well, we, we read that chapter. You can open your Bibles there as well. You can see here that Paul is reflecting on how, he's thinking about how the church in Corinth came into existence, where their faith came from. And there we see that first came the preaching of the message the message by God's servant. God's servant Paul. Paul was convinced. He believed. He was convinced that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He was convinced the resurrection of Jesus Christ could change the world. He, he came into this big cosmopolitan city, Corinth, and he, and he preached. But they... He looks back at it. Maybe he's even chuckling. He says, I came in in weakness. I came in fear. He says that in verse 3 and then verse 4, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. But then look at verse 4. The end of it, he says, but then God came and added to my words the the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 again, your faith doesn't rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And then, if we jump ahead, we look at verse 13, we can see that even while he was speaking, the Spirit was guiding his mouth and bringing out spiritual truths in spiritual words. And then in verse 11, we can see that as those words entered the ears of those whom God had chosen for himself in Corinth, the Holy Spirit who is God and who knows the thoughts of God made them understand what God had freely given them in Jesus Christ. You could see that in verse 12. The Spirit who is from God was given that we may understand What God has freely given us. By his spirit, God reveals unconceivable things about the church of God in Corinth. And you see that verse 10. And they were given the mind of Christ. Scriptures are very clear that faith is a gift of God. And it is born and made alive in our hearts by the spirit of God. God's word God's spirit, they testify in our hearts, they convince us clearly that our entire salvation rests on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're convinced of something the world considers silly. That's what Paul's talking about. We have a wisdom that comes from God. We are convinced that our salvation rests on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's because the Holy Spirit opens our hearts, makes us believe, and makes us understand. He does that through the Word. And our confession about the origin of this faith, the Spirit working through His Word, it has and must have consequences on our worship services and on our evangelism activities. The Bible does not teach that God works faith through food distribution or common sporting activities or exemplary work ethic. And so these Christian and laudable activities must never replace the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. We do not confess that a play or the repetition of the name Jesus with appropriate music or personal testimonies can bring faith. But we repeat Romans 10 verse 17, only the word of God, the message, and the message worked in our hearts by the spirit. And so when we look at the worship services, we remember what we confess. The worship service isn't a question of whatever all that we can do in a meeting together. But a worship service, we ask the question, how does God work in our hearts? How can we have God present in our midst, working in our hearts to plant His Word, to nourish its growth? And the answer is connected to our confession about the source of faith, that the Holy Spirit ordinarily works through the means of the Word of God, and that's why it is the focus of our worship services. It is how God works. We believe that. so we put the word in the center, the center. and we have the Word in His blessing. We have the word in the law. We have the word in the reading of Scripture and the preaching of Scripture. the congregational response, we respond with the words of Scripture again, the oversight. And the, dis, and the sacraments. We rely completely on the means that God has established to work persevering faith. And that is why we bring our loved ones to church. We bring them to church to be in the workshop of the Holy Spirit where he, his word is, is read and proclaimed and, and sung and celebrated That's how we as believers also walk each day. We we have his word open with us. We believe that God works and strengthens our faith through the word, through his Bible. And as the Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel, we can be sure that our entire salvation rests on Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. We believe because of God's grace. We believe because we have the message of truth. We believe because our Bibles are open. So what does it mean when we have doubts? Words, 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 but what happens when my heart isn't seeing what the words are saying? The words really help when it's difficult to see the invisible working inside of us. Does God do anything to help us when the cross feels so far away? It seems like we have more to do than we could ever imagine doing. Well, we believe the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, also because we are assured of this by the Spirit. In the sacraments, it's a part of what we confess in Lord's Day 25. The word "sacrament" is not a very well-known word, and often people have decided since it's a word that no one knows, let's let's use a different word. And many uh, churches use the word "ordinances" to refer to something that Christ instituted or something that He commanded us to do, but. We use the word sacrament, it's a part of our confession, it's a part of our church life, and so it's good to understand that it is a Latin word that is related to the word for sacred. It refers to a solemn oath, a solemn oath. And when Latin translators were translating the New Testament, they put the word sacrament in place of the word mystery, the word mystery in the New Testament is translated in Latin with the word sacrament. And so we can see what was being expressed with this word in the church throughout the years. A sacrament was then a visible representation of the mysterious, invisible working of God in our hearts. A sacrament was a solemn oath stating that that as surely as someone sees the outward signs, so sure could they be about the reality of what God did in the heart. The Lord Jesus wanted his church to have a sign that points to our place in the covenant and his promises to us. That's a sign of baptism. As well as a sign that points to the real ongoing unity that we have with Jesus Christ. That's Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper taking the place of Passover in the Old Testament and baptism taking the place of circumcision. Both these sacraments serve as oaths confirming the mysterious working of the Holy Spirit that we cannot see with our eyes. Sacraments are the means of grace that God has used to assure us of the truth of his word and sacrifice and the benefits of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sacraments are signs that point to an inward reality. To be assured of our salvation, to have this certainty in our hearts, without a doubt, is to to live without a doubt that we are truly forgiven, that we will certainly go to heaven that God is real, that God is sovereign, that we are never alone. Assurance in the faith is the difference between spiraling into anxiety and guilt and works righteousness and standing up with our eyes lifted up, looking to our Father in heaven as soldiers in the kingdom of God with a constant connection and a positive relationship with our heavenly commander. You see how important assurance is for your daily life. Spiraling into anxiety or standing before your Lord with confidence. When we look at our confessions, we see how many times they talk about doubts. The way that's comforting, those doubts that you have are very common. Very common throughout the years, throughout the centuries. That the great pastors of the past were busy putting down our confession. They, they gave a lot of space to the question of doubts. Sometimes there are major doubts about the existence of God. Sometimes there are doubts about the extent of, of Christ's work. We wonder how much do we have to do, really? How much depends on me? How much have I lost by this sin or that sin? And Sometimes the doubts are whether we really are in Christ, if we really will persevere to the, to the end. And doubts come from many different sources. Sometimes we really just don't read Scripture. We really don't think about it more often than not, it's not a question of our faith or, or, or a question about reading scripture, but doubts come from the, the hardships of this life the anxiety, the stress of, of being a father or the stress of being a mother, the, the, the tasks that we have that distract us and, and make us look down to the earth, which is so unreliable, to people, which we can never depend on. And so these doubts, are, they rise up in our lives. And we know the truth in our minds, but we don't always feel the truth in our hearts. Sometimes the divide starts to happen, and that's when we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he needs to take the truth that he declares from the pulpit, and he needs to to use the power that he uses to, to open hearts And then he needs to to smear this truth in our faces so we can feel it, so we can touch it. So so it's, it's undeniable to us. So that we stop doubting and believe. Because you know what? The doubts do not come because we question the reliability of God's word. The doubts do not come because there are problems with the power of God and sometimes he, he falters a little bit. The doubts do not come because Christ's work is not real. The doubts do not come because maybe sometimes the Holy Spirit jumps over the odd person. The doubts come because of our dullness and our inability to see our weakness. And so the sacraments are used by the Holy Spirit to take the declaration of the Word and to put it in our faces so we see them, so we can touch them, so we combine what we can touch with what we hear. We add, we confess that it's a beautiful confession. Lord's, uh, it's actually Article 33 of the Belgian Confession. God adds the sacraments to the Word of the Gospel to represent better to our external senses both what he declares to be in his word or to us in his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts. The sacraments are always joined to the preaching of the word. The sacraments are always joined to the invisible working of the Holy Spirit who makes us believe in Jesus Christ. That's why when unbelievers and and hypocrites, when they try to use The sacraments, uh, to strengthen faith, I guess that doesn't work. They they don't actually believe. When they they use the sacraments for their own purposes, well, then the sacraments are just like those signs that are in front of an abandoned building. They're sacraments that point to nothing. That's what Paul is touching on in Romans 2. It's that circumcision, circumcision, of The Jews in Romans 2, they, they, they didn't believe. And all of a sudden, the, the sacrament doesn't mean anything. But to those who believe, the dramatization of the preaching of the gospel, the visible representation of the words that we hear, the words that we read, they are powerful. It's a marvelous experience to partake in a sacrament. Through the sacraments, God confirms to us the salvation which he imparts to us. Not only that, but the signs become a meaningful channel through which God works in us by his power. That is why we always feel so, so strengthened, so nourished by the sacraments. It's why in some cases, some people have even tried in their minds, they raise the sacraments above the regular preaching of the word. When you leave the Lord's Supper service, which happens only a few months, you leave built up, you're assured, you're strengthened. It's a big deal in some people's minds to miss a Lord's Supper service, but not so much the other ones. There's a, there's a reason for that. It's because they, they feel that, that confirmation in a powerful way. Which father, which mother will forget the day their, their child was baptized and the sign that they could see so clearly it brings tears to our eyes. We're so dull, we miss it all the time and then God gives us this visible assurance. There's a real connection to Jesus Christ. In the sacraments Allow us to see that, to experience that. And that's what we confess in Lord's Day 25 and brothers and sisters in the mountains of this life when things are going great, in the valleys when it's hard to see the whole picture because we're stuck. We get stuck in difficult times, doubts. God works his grace, his spirit in your lives by the preaching of the word and by The sacrament. They are channels. They are means of God's grace. They are essential elements of Christian worship. There's a bit of a movement going on. Maybe you read about it in some of the magazines where people speak about the power of ordinary means ministry. Ordinary means ministry. It's, it, it, it's, it's a reaction to our, our world today. A, a lot of the so-called evangelical churches that are, are opening up all sorts of ministries. All sorts of new ministries and new, new means of God's grace. And now the reaction, and a lot of it in, the North, in North America, is this reaction about the ordinary means ministries. It's important to remember what we confess. And the church is recognizing this. God works through the preaching and the sacraments. I once heard a a speaker at a conference in Brazil encouraging the listeners to find out if they are truly relying only on the word and the sacraments as the means of grace that God gives to us. And he said, we should put our worship services through a catacomb test. Catacomb test. The catacombs, as you may know, were were the network of tombs and tunnels underneath some of the, the ancient cities. And when the church was persecuted, the Christians had to go down into the catacombs to have their worship services. They had to hide because of the persecution. And due to the circumstances, it was a very simple worship service focused on God's word in the preaching and in the sacraments, and the response of God's people in the songs and the prayers. And God worked powerfully. And we could think of other situations, similar situations, when the church has had to go underground, when the church is, is limited. In what it can do in terms of showing, it, it, they're, they're, they're in terms of celebrating their faith. We can think of the concentration camps in the Second World War where, where memorization of God's Word was so important. We can think about today. When our brothers and sisters are being jammed together in shipping containers in the desert because of their faith, they're sweltering and heat, they can't, they don't have anything, and yet there they are worshiping the Lord, convincing others of the faith. We can think of those who are fleeing their countries in ships, who are sequestered in refugee camps, or who are left to die in prisons. And as we think about those brothers and those sisters, as we do the the catacomb test on what's important in our worship and in our faith and in our life, then we really see the importance of what we confess in Lord's Day 25. What would we need to leave behind in order to continue worshiping God underground? What is essential and what are extras that we can enjoy for sure in times of peace that we can use to enhance the fundamental parts of worship, but really are extras. What must we be willing to die for or to leave a church for? And what must never cause a separation in the body of Christ? The catacomb test makes us realize and remember what is essential for worship. And we see that it is exactly what we confess in Lord's Day 25. The Holy Spirit works faith through the preaching of the word and he strengthens it through the use of the sacraments. God uses ordinary means to bring us to an extraordinary confession that we will never let go of No matter what the situation, no matter what the persecution, I believe that my salvation rests entirely on Christ's one sacrifice on the cross. May this confession, the only ground of your salvation, be the focus of your faith and the reason for your song. Amen. We'll respond by singing to God with the words of Psalm 92, stanzas 1, 6, and 7. If you look in Scripture, you can see there's a title. It says it's a song for the Sabbath. It's a a song we sing as we celebrate the opportunity we have to worship God. Psalm 92, stanzas 1, 6, and 7. We'll do this standing if you're able to stand.